Uh, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to another episode of Second Take Cinema, coming to you from the glorious Impala Films headquarters in sunny South End on Sea. I am your host, Jamie Evans, joined as always by my co-host, Rory Jocelyn. Hello, everybody. And today, today do we have a film that we're so excited to talk to you about. This was one of the defining movies in my journey to becoming a, a filmmaker and a film fan. Ladies and gentlemen, we are going all the way back to ye old year of 2002, exploring a film from one of my favourite directors of all time, Sam Raimi. It's time to give a second take to Spider-Man. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, today we are tackling Spider-Man, the 2002 superhero movie that really kind of kicked off the current superhero boom that we are still living in 20 years later. Um, Sam Raimi is one of my favourite directors of all time, so it was such a great experience to revisit this film. I'm so glad we did it. For anyone out there who doesn't know, this film is directed by Sam Raimi. It's written by David Coop, uh, and it stars Tobey Maguire as Spider-Man, Willem Dafoe as the Green Goblin, along with Kirsten Dunst as Mary Jane, James Franco as Harry, Cliff Robertson as Uncle Ben, and Rosemary Harris as Aunt May, along with cameos from the legend that is Bruce Campbell, and the legend that is Macho Man Randy Savage. Um, this movie, like, talk about successful. Filmed on a budget of $139 million. Is that all? Well, that's all. I'll check it. By today's, you know, by a modern Marvel film, that's sure. nothing. And it grossed $825 million. It was the first film ever to gross $100 million in a single weekend. Um, and it was the third highest grossing film that year, I believe, behind only Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers, and Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. Uh, in terms of critical response, it has, on Rotten Tomatoes, a whopping 90% rating. Uh, the website's consensus reads, not only does Spider-Man provide a good dose of web-swinging fun, it also has heart, thanks to the combined charms of director Sam Raimi and star Tobey Maguire. Um, the casting... Uh, was praised by pretty much every critic, uh, specifically focusing on Tobey Maguire, Willem Dafoe, and J.K. Simmons. I think we both agree, Rory, they're all excellent in their roles. Yeah, yeah. There were some bad reviews, though. Uh, LA Weekly's Manahola Dargis or Dargis, wrote, It isn't that Spider-Man is inherently unsuited for live-action translation, it's just that he's not particularly interesting or well-animated. 
Giving it two and a half stars out of four, Roger Ebert felt the film lacked a decent action element. He said, Consider the scene where Spider-Man is given a cruel choice between saving Mary Jane or a cable car full of school kids. He tries to save both so that everyone dangles from webbing that seems about to pull loose. The visuals here could have given an impression of the enormous weights and tension involved, but instead the scene seems more like a bloodless storyboard of the idea. Stylistically, there was heavy criticism of the Green Goblin's costume, which led IGN's Richard George to comment years later, we're not saying the comic book costume is exactly thrilling, but the goblin armour, the helmet in particular, is almost comically bad. Not only is it not frightening, but it also prohibits expression. The film did win several awards, including a Teen Choice Award and a Saturn Award, and was also nominated for two Academy Awards, one for Best Visual Effects and one for Best Sound, but it lost the Best Visual Effects to Lord of the Rings The Two Towers, and it lost Best Sound to Chicago. Um which, you know, that, that kind of sucked. Uh, it was also nominated for Favourite Movie at the Nickelodeon Kids' Choice Awards, but lost to Austin Powers' Gold Member. Hang on. Who on Nickelodeon... The children should not be watching, watching Gold Member. Like, yeah. I don't know. Like, I don't I, know. I, I was expecting it to be, like, some big, like, Pixar movie, like Toy Story 3 or sort of Toy Story 2 at that point, I imagine. Like, coming out and it going, you know what? I can understand Nickelodeon kids would probably like that more than Spider-Man. Not... I remember Schindler's List I rem- was given I- a higher rating by you Nickelodeon. Say, you, you say that, but I remember Goldmember. I was a kid when Goldmember came out, and it was huge. It was huge, to be fair. It was huge amongst my I demographic. It and I hadn't seen the first two at the time. Everyone, everyone loved Mini Me. Yeah, that's true. Hey, it's me, I'm Mini Me. <laughs> best, the best cameo in any film ever. One of definitely. If yeah. Be, yeah. Hey, it's me. It's it's a little uncomfortable now because of the Kevin Spacey of it all, but you know. Who does he play? He's Dr. Evil. Oh, he is. Tom Cruise is Austin Powers. Gwyneth Paltrow is Dixie Normus. Yep. Uh, Kevin Spacey is Dr. Evil. And then Danny DeVito is Mini-Me, which is the best one. That is the best one. And his reveal is the best one as well. Yeah. Hey, asshole! It's me! I'm Mini-Me! Especially because Mini-Me is mute. Yeah, he just kind of goes... He doesn't doesn't really make noise at all. He he does little squeaks and things. Every now and then, okay. But yeah, I'm sure he, he does. Because he doesn't talk and then all of a sudden... And he doesn't smoke or do anything like that. But Danny DeVito's version, not only is, the minute you see him, he's flipping the bird. He's got a cigar. a big cigar. And he's got a machine gun, Annie. He's got a machine gun Oh yeah, he's got a machine gun, which he fires in the air after he's... Yeah. yeah. Anyway, so I, I chose to put Spider-Man on the list. Um, full disclosure to everyone, we were actually going to do Spider-Man 3 first, because that's widely regarded as being the crap one out of this trilogy, and I wanted to give it a second chance. But when we came to record it, uh, my DVD player's not working, and I only have a DVD copy of Spider-Man 3, whereas I have a digital copy of Spider-Man 1. So we swapped them around, we've done Spider-Man 1 first, but that's good, it's a good way to end a recording session. Um... I put this film on the list because this film is very near and dear to me. Um, This is, I do believe, and I don't think I'm misremembering, I'm fairly certain this is the first DVD I ever bought with my own money. Right. So I had had DVDs before this, uh, such as A Bug's Life and uh, Bug's Life, Spice World. No, Spice World was a VHS. I think I'd only had Bugs Life. I don't think Life. Spice World has ever come out on DVD. 
I'm sure I've seen it in like a pound land before. Yeah, it's um, really hard to find. Oh yeah, yeah they only exists. did a limited amount of printing. Yeah, I think I know, it's extremely rare if it exists. Yeah. I have yet to find a version. Don't I worry, have. we're gonna get there. Yeah, we're well, gonna got, get I, there, baby. Yeah, I know. Well, I tell we, you what, I want gonna, what I really, I, really I gave want. You Moonwalker in response. So. Oh yeah, but which uh, is infinitely a better film. I'm I'm very curious to see which one will actually be a better film because it kind of sounds like Moonwalker is one half giant music video yep. and another half Michael uh, Jackson on crack. Yeah. Just making shit up. Yeah. And Spice World is essentially a sketch show with the Spice Girls in it. Yeah. And Meatloaf. Yes. And Richard O'Brien from the Rocky Horror Show. Yes. And Roger Moore. And Richard E. Grant. And Richard E. Grant. And Alan Cumming. Yeah. Um, in fact, to be honest, let's let, let's let's get off of this because the number of celebrities within Spice World and John Cleese. Yeah, we should. We That's should, my last one. We'll leave that for when we cover Spice World. Yeah, can't um, wait. But yeah, so Spider Man. I'm pretty sure it's the first DVD I ever bought. I remember it very clearly. I bought the two disc special edition. Um, I don't think I even knew because this is how out. This is how non-involved with movies I was at this point in my life. I don't think I even knew a Spider-Man movie had been made. I think I had somehow avoided it. Right. Completely. And Did you like Spider-Man in general? I liked the animated series. Right. So uh, we used to have to spend weekends at my grand's because my parents worked weekends. And on Fox Kids, they had a whole block of animated superhero programming. Uh, and it had the very critically lauded 90s Batman animated series. Yes. Uh, which was really dark and noirish and mm. not kid friendly at all, really. Um, and that used to be paired with the Spider Man series, which was also very well received. And then there were some other ones which I wasn't as big a fan of. Like there was an Incredible Hulk series, there was an Iron Man series. And for whatever reason, Back those. Before ca- Disney owned the lot. Yeah. For whatever reason, those characters never. As far as superheroes go, I'm very much a Batman and Spider Man guy. They're the two that I find the most interesting. They seem um, to have the biggest hurdles. Yeah. Batman, because obviously he's got no actual superpowers and, and the his villains, villains are, really are all psychologically interesting. Yeah. And I think Spider-Man, I think Spider-Man's one of those characters who if you don't get into him when you're young, you never get into him. Because the whole point is he's really relatable because the whole Spider-Man thing is a metaphor for going through puberty. Yeah. Um, and... <laughs> And webbing in your pants. Well, no, it literally is. <laughs> That's the thing. You can literally read loads of academic papers about it. Um, it really is a metaphor for puberty and going... Th- it's why the most popular version of Spider-Man is always when he's still in school. Yeah. Like, they keep going back to that over and over again. Yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, I, I bought this film. I, t- I sat up in my bedroom and I watched it. And my God, I loved it. I loved this movie. I still love this movie. And I watched it over and over. And do you know what's funny? It's only just occurring to me now, because I've never thought about it before, that this is the first Sam Raimi film I ever saw. Right. Because I didn't see Evil Dead until a couple years later. Sure. In my head, because he made Evil Dead first, and because I love Evil Dead, I always think, oh yeah, Evil Dead, and then he did Spider-Man. But I saw Spider-Man first. Right. Wow. Interesting. 
Mm. How about you? What's your experience with Spider-Man? So I have seen this before. Like a lot of these is ones where one of us has only seen it rather than both of us. But uh, no, this is a rare occasion where I actually have seen it as well. I because I'm so much older than Jamie. Uh, certainly when it comes to us being children. Uh, when this came out, two thousand and two, I was already sixteen. So I was eleven. Yeah. So the when when we're our age, that five year gap means fuck all. But when you're a child, the difference between eleven and sixteen is quite huge. Uh, you're technically prepubescent, and I'm right towards the end of that change. Uh, but yeah, so I I watched this. I don't remember if I watched it in cinemas, but I definitely saw it, if not on DVD. Um, and I, I think I might have seen it in cinemas though. And it was good. I'll be honest, superhero films have never really done it for me, though I did really enjoy the X-Men films that came out around the same time. Uh, But yeah, superhero movies have never really been my bread and butter. I don't hold this film in as high regard as you do, but it's not because it's a bad film. We'll get to, you know, details and things as we get into the conversation. But I I remembered it being a good one uh, and being one that seemed to sort of hold its quality a little bit more than other superhero movies which let's be clear around this time this was the starting point of where superhero movies actually started to get good prior to this other than possibly the x-men movies that came out in the early 2000s as well all superhero movies were garbage all of them, apart from possibly a few of the Batman films. Yeah, ba- Batman nineteen. I liked Batman Forever. And Batman but... Returns. Yeah. I love Bat- Batman Returns, I think, might be the best Batman except for The Dark Knight. Yeah, um, but that that's something that you appreciate more as you're older. Mm. Um, I really liked Batman Forever, probably because I did watch that when it came out. Batman and Robin was garbage. Um, it's great fun though. No, it's so funny. It's not, it's not Street Fighter level, so it doesn't work. Um, I don't know what killed the dinosaurs. The Ice Age, the Ice Age. Is, is literally one of my favourite film but lines of all time. You've got to remember, there's only one character that makes that film work, and it's Arnold, yeah, it's Arnold Schwarzenegger. Uh, everything else is everything garbage. else is garbage. But it's fine because that's one more character than Batman Forever has. No, I like Jim Carrey. I hate. I know the Riddler. Y- y- so, uh, honestly, well, y- yeah, we we can discuss yeah. this when we get. To well, those films, just but... a quick thing about the Riddler. Well, that's not on the list. You want to put it on the list? You can do. One thing about the Riddler, like that, is literally one of the performances that put me off Jim Carrey. Right. Because um, I, my first experience with Carrey was the the Mask, which I really like. The Mask is brilliant. I really like the Mask. Then I saw. I know I've seen one of the Ace Venturas. I don't know which one, and I don't remember anything about it except Jim Carrey, so don't ask me. I don't know which one I've seen. When we eventually watch it, I will either go, oh, yeah, I've seen this, or I'll go, yeah, no, I must have saw the other one. Sure. Um, Was Monica from Friends in it? I honestly don't remember. Okay, fine. Um, I didn't like that, but I was like, okay, maybe it's just the character, because I'd also seen the animated show, Ace Ventura, and I didn't like that. So I was like, okay, it must just be that character. (laughs) Then I saw Batman Forever and was like... Oh, this is all you do? Yeah. And I now understand it's not. I now understand Jim Carrey has actually done um, quite a few dramatic roles, which I'm interested in seeing. Um, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind comes highly recommended from Dave Gardner. Have you seen The Truman Show? No, that is one of the few I really do want to see. Yeah, The Truman Show is very good. I'd recommend that one. That and Eternal Sunshine are pretty much the two of his that I still want to see. The one that I would avoid is the one where he 
plays is is it Andy Dick? No, not Andy Dick. Oh, Andy Man Calvin. on the Moon. Yeah, I hated that film. Yeah, uh, but that's lauded. That's critically lauded as well. But I hate that. I film. Believe, so maybe that should be on the list. I do believe but, that's got Jerry the King Lawler in it. Right from WWE because he was he was real life friends with Andy Kaufman. Oh, okay, um, and I think they got him for the film. Right. But yeah, um, anyway, sorry, you were saying that superhero films pre this. Uh, I'm trying to just quickly, let's just think about which ones were good pre-2002. Well, some people like the Superman films, but I thought they were all garbage. So you got the Christopher Reeve Superman. And it wasn't Christopher Reeve's fault, but it was yeah. just, I don't like Superman as a character. Yeah. Um, there were a couple of Fantastic Fours, which I'm pretty certain were garbage. No, they were after this. No, no, there were a couple of... Oh, you mean the, the, one, the one that never got released? It was so was bad that they... Was not one in the 90s that did that get released? No, it was so bad oh, okay. they blocked its release. Well, Daredevil came out about this same time with Ben Affleck, and that was garbage. Yeah. Blade was good. Blade was good. Yes, I'll give you Blade. Um, um, although, Bla- Blade, yes, it's a comic book, but it's not really a superhero thing, is it? Yeah, he's kind of an anti-hero. Uh, the first X-Men is good. First X Men films good. I like the second one as well. The third one is really where it let itself. Poor boy, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Literally, just wipe out one of your main characters in five seconds of the film, and then go, "Oh, we'll move on." Very much like Mortal Kombat Armageddon does with Johnny Cage. I believe you mean Mortal Kombat Annihilation. Ah, yes. So Spider Man. Uh, I enjoyed the film, uh, but it wasn't something that stuck with me. The scenes that, st- other than the bits with his uncle, which are good and Willem Dafoe because it's Willem Dafoe uh, the th- the scenes of Spider-Man of this era that stick with me more so are actually from the second and third films uh, I knew the third film had problems but there were elements of that I liked and the second one there's the image of him stopping the train and stuff like that which and Doc Ock himself seem to be there seem to be a little bit better done in Spider-Man 2 but Mo- most people consider 2 the better film sure I I love both of the first two, and I I couldn't pick between them. No, sure. So I mean, but Spider Man one does have a lot of things that became iconic, uh, such as the kiss upside down in the rain. Yeah. That's often referenced in Spider Man stuff um, because it's it's become a, an iconic scene. There's a lot to do. There's a lot that this film did right, and but bear in mind that I hadn't seen it really since. At least the mid-2000s. Right, okay. It's been a long time. So I was quite interested to see if it holds up and whether or not it's worth recommending now. Yeah. Because there's been so much Marvel... Like, Marvel from 2002 to Marvel in t- even 2022, which was last year. Yeah. Like, the the vast chasm of difference in the brand. Yeah. You know, bear in mind, in 2002, Disney did not own Marvel... Uh, the comic book company was failing, and, and this is not a Marvel movie. This is Sony. Yeah, so this is this is the reason why Spider Man wasn't in the Marvel comics, uh, Marvel films. Sorry, for a long time because it's the, the copyrights with Sony. Yeah, um, because of this film. So this film kind of started that nerfing of, which is why when Marvel started making their own movies, they had to pick from the B team. Yeah. Their B team was Iron, Iron Man, Man, Captain America. Captain America. Or... Yeah, it's like it's, these are the ones that people don't really give a shit about, and they did a really good job of making you care about them and building the brand on them. Yeah, but yeah, Spider. It's because Spider Man and X Men, which and I think Fantastic Four, which were Marvel's main bread and butter, had all been sold. Also to Sony, uh, not all to Sony. Um, Spider Man is Sony. 
X-Men and Fantastic Four had been sold to Fox, Fox. which is why Disney's got them back now because they've, yeah, bought, they've Fox. bought Fox. Yeah. And Incredible Hulk is really weird because they kind of own the rights to Hulk, but Universal kind of own the rights to Hulk. Yeah, they have to do a different version of Hulk, uh, don't they? B- basically, if it's a solo Hulk film, Universal own the rights to that. But if, if it's, it's Hulk in, a... in Avengers or something else. Right, so they can have the character, just not on their own. Yeah, they can't do a film called The Incredible Hulk. Interesting. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about context first of all before we get into the actual film because for me personally because obviously the whole point of this show is looking back and being like like you said does it hold up etc etc I personally feel and this might be nostalgia talking that intervening time that we have had and the the current state of blockbusters yeah m- superheroes as well but blockbusters in general I think this film is better now than it was then. Either not, green some ways and not in others. Yeah, don't get me wrong, the effects of age and things like that, obviously. Yes. But it's so Having refreshing. Having said that, the effects aren't always so good nowadays because no. they don't give the artists enough time to render them. Yeah. It's so refreshing to watch a film and one, it's not three fucking hours long. Like, like this film squeezes Spider-Man's origin, Green Goblin's origin, the actual plot of the film, it sets up Mary Jane, Uncle Ben, um, uh, James Franco, Harry, etc. Yeah. All within two hours. Yeah. That's amazing. But it's this consistent, self-contained story as well. Yeah. Um, so it's amazing, one, that it's not three hours long. Two, I don't need to have seen anything else to understand it. I yeah. can just go straight into it. And it's not, oh, have you seen the prior three Disney Plus series that inform this? Yeah, yeah. Um, and it didn't feel like it was setting anything else up. There's no post-credit scene, Rory. Yeah, like that feels amazing now because the problem. And I'm not, in a world where there's no post-credit scene. Yeah, like and I'm not anti-MCU. I like no. the MCU, or at least I did like the MCU. The problem with the MCU is it it now feels soulless. It's bloated as well. It's bloated. It feels soulless, and it feels like a constant production line. Yeah. This there's no originality in it either, really. No. Well, I want to see Guardians at Galaxy Three because apparently that's really good. Okay. Um, and it's a shame Marvel are losing James Gunn as a talent because now he's done that, he's going to DC. But um, this feels like a film. It doesn't feel like a product. It doesn't feel like it was created to sell toys. It probably was, but it doesn't feel that way. Mm. It feels like you've got a filmmaker who you trust to go, right, what is your vision for this film? Let's let's do your vision. And it, yeah, I just, I really like this. It, it's not a complicated movie. No. It's very clear, you know, the villain is the villain. The hero is the hero. There's none of this, you know. Um, oh, well, maybe if we sympathise with Norman. It's like, no, he's the fucking Green Goblin. He's evil. And do you know what? Sometimes that simplicity is nice. Okay, so I want to kick off the com- the deeper conversation on this film. Uh, getting into some of the specifics. Uh, with a massive positive um which is the script mm. now don't get me wrong shakespeare is not but it does not need to be because it's comic book what this script does very very well phenomenally well now you mentioned in 2 hours we get all the setups of these different characters mm. but one of the things that i've spoken about i think i've spoken about on the show before but certainly with uh colleagues and friends that you know i talked about talked to about film stuff including yourself jamie 
is modern filmmaking doesn't seem to understand the skill or care about the skill that is brevity. It does not respect your time. Spider-Man, this film, the script of this film, and thus how it's been produced and directed, it absolutely understands that time is a premium, and it's not going to sit there and go, well, it is Spider-Man, so give us four hours, all right? Mm. You know, it's... it Or three hours, which, you know... Nowadays, you would you could expect a three-hour Spider-Man, but I I think the last Spider-Man film, not the animated one, the last MCU yeah, one, yeah. I think is over three hours long. Yeah, so which is is ridiculous for a film for a, a film like this about one character. Um, with this script, you noted and rightfully so. That by the time we were at the 20 minute mark, I think it was. I think it's earlier. I think it's like 10 to 15 minutes. Well, the goblin has already been created. Yeah, I think it's. it must be 15. I, th- I remember you saying 20. But either way, within that brief period of time, bear in mind that's not even the end of Act 1 yet. Peter Parker's been bitten and has got his powers. The Green Goblin's been gassed and has got his powers. We've got, so we know who our main hero and villain are, all fully set up and ready to go. They're not perfect yet, because they're still learning their roles, as it were, but they are there, already established. In a modern MCU-style production, that would probably happen at the 40-minute, maybe hour mark. Probably hour mark nowadays, because it's so... The thing is, we've got that set up, and it doesn't. We're not sitting there going, "Well, calm down. I don't understand what's happening." You understand perfectly what's going on, um, and within the next five minutes, to five to ten minutes from that, we've got all of the setup and the death of Uncle Ben. Uh, what happens with Aunt May? You've got you have a full understanding of his relationship with MJ and how that's now affected by Harry starting to date MJ. And it's clear what the theme of the film, it's clear what yeah. the main journey Spider-Man's going to be on is, yeah. which is his burning regret that the last conversation he had with Uncle Ben was Uncle Ben saying, look, I know I'm not your father, then stop trying to be. And fair play to Cliff Robertson, God bless him, he's not with us anymore. Yeah. Um, the hurt, He doesn't have any lines, you can just see the hurt in his eyes Yeah. when he, he snaps at him. Beautifully. Um, yeah. And then obviously you get the bit when uh, when they when the wrestling promoter doesn't pay him properly, and he goes, um, "Does I, that look like it's my problem?" Uh, yeah, I fail to see how that's my problem. And then he gets petty and does that back and lets the robber get away. Yeah, and it's the robber that kills his uncle. Yeah, so and it's, it's kind immediately of clear. Okay, I see what the arc is going to be here. Yeah, and it plays out perfectly. Um, now there are things in this story that I don't like as much. Okay, cool. Um, but overall, the structure of the film is perfect. The details, there are a couple I might argue. Uh, one of the ones that springs to mind that I am sitting there going, well, that's kind of a bit pointless then. And I, I, it was something you mentioned, I think, when you were looking through some of the reviews. Um is the moment where the Green Goblin has been shown, knows who Peter Parker is, and then gives him the choice between either saving MJ or saving a truck, like a, a, carriage a cable full of kids. car, yeah, yeah, cable car full of kids. And Spider Man picks both, and gets both, and it's like, I, it, it, to me, that kind of feels like that. And I understand maybe it's not the genre or the, the type of genre film to do this, unless it's Batman, which would have probably gone through with it. 
But the whole point, except for Batman Forever, actually, where they do the opposite. So maybe I'm wrong. But there's Batman Forever doesn't count. There's, <laughs> but yeah, is the idea that he's been given a clear choice of how he's the hero, and somehow, essentially, the, I think the thing is it kind of cheats its way out of giving him the choice by him just choosing neither, uh, but not setting it up that he's outwitted the goblin. He just has the option of doing both anyway. I get what you mean. I think, and I could be wrong here. I might be, I might be defending Sam Raimi on, on. I don't know what I'm looking for is. Um, I think, yeah, it's partly the fact that this isn't the right film for that. Spider-Man has always been lighter than, say, Batman. Uh, back because we let a few years after this, we get a similar thing in The Dark Knight, don't yeah, we? But that's Where the Joker so forces done. him to choose yeah. between Harvey Dent and um, the woman. Maggie Gyllenhaal. That's it, yeah. Uh, what's her character's name? I can't remember her character's name. She's not from Rachel, Rachel. Um but the Joker's switched to them, hasn't he? Yeah, so he actually chooses her. So he does. He chooses to be selfish, Batman does. Yeah. Which I think is the key difference between him and, say, Spider-Man. Yeah. Now, what I seem to remember reading once, and I might be wrong, was that what... Because Raimi knew that if this film was successful, he was doing a trilogy, I think. Yeah. I think what he'd kind he of planned... probably contracted for that. But I think what he'd planned on doing was this was all part of a larger arc, which was Spider-Man gets away with the choice in this one. Yeah. He gets to have his cake and eat it too because he saves both. And that then kind of makes him cocky. And then in the third one, he was going to be faced with a choice again, I think, between Gwen Stacy and MJ. Yeah. And he was and he wasn't going to get away with it that time. Yeah. And it was going to be sort of this impactful, just because you got away with it, once. once you don't get it but the studio stuck their oars in and were like no 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 yeah cut this isn't that kind of film it's got to appeal to everyone but then the characters down... can't die etc sure. uh it, 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 that would mean that what happened in the third one is it basically drove down the stakes as well as the fact that they overfilled it with enemies but that's yeah. that's a story for when we talk about that film yeah i will say though while i would have preferred that the choice element of that mm. scene actually had an impact that mattered. I will say that it didn't ruin the film. It's not such... It's not, You know, it's just something where I was like, uh, it's more that I would have preferred that they did something different. But again, I completely get it's not the genre for it generally. The way to fix that, if you really wanted it to be that he doesn't get away... Let's say there's no big arc. Let's say we're just making the first film. You, you obviously can't have Spider-Man sacrifice the kids. You absolutely can't. No. Like, that's it. Your franchise is done yeah, when he lets, children, lets die. children die. for his own sake, yeah. I also understand why, if you're Raimi, you don't want to kill MJ, because MJ is the lowest lane to yeah. Spider-Man. Yeah. So here's what you do. You don't do MJ in the first film. You, make it you do Gwen Stacy, who canonically is killed by the Green Goblin anyway. Yeah. In the comics, Goblin throws her off a building. Spider-Man goes to save her, and he, he, just as he grabs her, yeah. she hits the floor. So he, he just that scene would work, wouldn't it? He yeah. still tries to save both. Yeah. So he saves the and kids he's first, a fraction then he goes... of a second too late. Yeah. And that would have made more impact, I think. In like, certainly with the Uncle Ben side, yeah. it would have given him more reason to. Um, basically hold hard to what his uncle said because not only did his 
uh, not only did just to shark the guy, did he let basically the guy go who kills his uncle? Mm. But now because he made because he's now forced into making hard decisions, yeah, and he lost someone from making a hard decision, it would make more sense when he meets MJ in the second one yeah. and they get to the ending and she goes, oh, I'll be your girlfriend. Basically, let's get on. Yeah. Uh, and to he be says, fair, no, actually. Spider-Man... He's killed. He, he's lost someone that yeah. close before. Spider-Man 3, from memory, I haven't seen it for a long time, it does a lot to damage the trilogy retroactively as well yeah. because you then add Gwen... So in, in comics canon, Gwen Stacy is his girlfriend while he's a student. Yeah, yeah. And it's not till he goes to college that he meets MJ. Sure. So you should have done that. Have Gwen Stacy in this one and she dies at the end. Um, instead, you wait till he's with MJ, then introduce Gwen Stacy and do like a love triangle. Yeah. But also... Which makes Ru- him look like a right dick. Yeah. And also... Well, that's where all the Bully Maguire memes yeah. come from, <laughs> isn't it? But also, um, I'm fairly certain in the third one it kind of undoes his origin story because it's revealed that Sandman killed Uncle Ben. Meaning that the fact he let that robber go... Meant nothing. ...basically didn't impact anything. So he just... He, he kills that... But he kills that guy. Yeah. Kick, well, kick, goes to kick him out the window, but the guy trips and falls out the window yeah, anyway. Yeah, that's a grey area, in it? Where yeah. it's like, he technically doesn't kill him. He didn't kill him, but he can't. He was going to but anyway. That, to be fair, saved by fate, basically. writers do that all the time, because that's what I hate about the ending to Batman Begins, right. when Liam Neeson's like, oh, you can't kill me, but I don't have to save you. Yeah. And he just, like, bat grapples yeah. out of the See, that trip. wouldn't hold up in a court of law. I don't think because I like. Oh, actually, it might do. There I is... mean, Ra's al Ghul was causing the train crash, wasn't he? Yeah, so yeah that's true. It's almost suicide, technically. Yeah, I, I, no, it's hard because you're not by law. It might be different from state to state and country to country, but as far as I'm aware, you're not. If you see a crime happening, you're not under any obligation to stop it. No. So I don't believe that's the case because otherwise you'd be arrested if someone mugged someone in the street and you just watched. You know that doesn't happen. Um, but in that case, because it's just you and them and you were there, like Batman was there on purpose. If he doesn't save him because he's got the ability to, then I think that would make him an accomplice to Mm. like not actually murder, but it would be manslaughter. I mean, just by being there, Batman's breaking the law anyway, because he's a masked vigilante, isn't he? Yeah, but it would definitely be manslaughter, I think. Yeah. Because he had the option to save him. He could have saved him, should have saved him, quote unquote. So let's... But anyway, back let's to talk about the cast here. And I'm actually going to, we're not going to start with any of the main ones. Let's talk with James Franco. Let's start with James Franco. Because yes. James Franco is a controversial figure nowadays. This was the first thing I ever saw him in. And I think this is very early in his career. Yeah, same for me. I think this is the first thing I he's, ever saw him in. He's really good as Harry Osborne. Yeah, he, he plays the character well. You really believe that he is this insecure rich boy who's desperate to earn his dad's approval. Mm but also kind of wants to just be a normal guy like like Peter. Yeah, uh, that comes across really well. And the other thing as well is you kind of feel his pain when his dad eventually meets MJ and then basically just calls her a slag uh, yeah. openly when he goes into the lift. And yeah. a broom her. Do, do what you need to do with her and broom her fast. Yeah, uh, you can feel his pain in that as like, because now he looks like a shitbag, but he's actually done nothing wrong mm. himself. But because it's his dad, 
he automatically looks like a shit bag as well. Yeah. Um, but then he doesn't help himself when he, he then shouts at her because she she's having a go about his dad. Yeah. It's like, but that's to be he's... fair, mate. Your dad was being alright, yeah, but he is a single parent household. Cause his mo- we don't know what exactly happened to his mum, whether she left Norman or if she's dead or what. But we we understand that his mum's not in the picture, and of course he does kind of rush to defend his dad a bit, doesn't he? Like yeah. he says that thing, like you know, my dad's a great man. If I'm lucky, I'll be half of what he is. Sort of yeah. thing. He still idolizes his father, even that even when he knows that his dad at that moment is being wrong. Yeah. Um, the one thing that I do get confused about is how Peter Parker doesn't recognize that Willem Dafoe is the Green Goblin until he reveals his face at the end, because like. He, he gets the cut on his arm. The cut on his arm shows through. And it's only when Willem Dafoe sees that and he realises, oh shit, that's the same cut I gave Spider-Man. Mm. And he suddenly clocks it. And uh, he's just like, oh, no, I've got to go. And that's when he starts acting weird and then sl- slags off MJ. And mm. you know, and then only after that point does the Green Garden suddenly know where Peter Parker lives and know that he has an arm. Yeah. It's like... And yet somehow Peter, when he's revealed at the end, and he, Peter Parker's like, oh my God. It's like... Mate, mate, who else was it going to be? Okay, so... Yeah, I always found that a little bit odd uh, thematically because he's meant to be intelligent. He's something of a scientist himself. Uh, So I would have thought Spider-Man would have picked up on the uh, the cues. Yeah, that's one thing that is minimised in this film compared to the the next two Spider-Men, Andrew Garfield and Tom Holland. With Andrew Garfield and Tom Holland, they really focus on the genius level intelligence. Right. Um, Especially, I mean, the way way Spider-Man is set up in the MCU is he's basically Tony Stark's protege. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which is why some people refer to him as Iron Man Jr. disparagingly. Because, um, I mean, in his first film, he literally has... He doesn't even have the normal Spider-Man suit. He's got the Iron Spider suit. Yeah. Um, but anyway. Okay, let's talk about Kirsten Dunst as Mary Jane. Yeah, she's good. Um, I think she does really well. I mean, she's a great actress anyway, Kirsten Dunst. Yeah. She's been in so many great things. Um, I think... The, over the course of the trilogy, the problem for her becomes that she is always the damsel in distress. Yeah. And that's one thing that does make these films feel dated. Raimi was basing all three of his Spider-Man films he based off of the 70s era of Marvel Comics. Right. Because that's the era he grew up reading. Mm. Um, it's why he never wanted to do Venom. Because I don't think Venom turned up till either the late 80s or early 90s. He was definitely by the early 90s because there was Spider-Man and Venom video games. Yeah, and, and Venom was driving the huge. Yeah, he Venom was, was everywhere. Yeah. Um, even people who didn't like Spider-Man were wearing the black t-shirt with the white spider design on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's kind of like Punisher. There's loads of people who wear Punisher t-shirts without actually liking the Punisher. Yeah, because yeah. um, it is a cool design. Usually those people are idiots. It's um, a cool design, that, like the skull of anything. Oh yeah, the problem with the Punisher is it's been co-opted by several right-wing organisations now. Yeah, it does um, make it a bit awkward. Which I think Marvel keep trying to sue them, but as soon as they sue one, another one starts using it. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, um, yeah, he, he notoriously doesn't like Venom as a character right. and didn't want to ever do Venom. And the studio were like, yeah, but Venom is like the most popular villain in Spider-Man. You have to do Venom. And... Um, Raimi was like, but he's just evil Spider-Man, really. Yeah. Like, he's got all the same powers. Do you know what I mean? Like, that Raimi didn't find that interesting, 
personally. Yeah, I mean, it would have been interesting, I think, and obviously they, the studio executives weren't thinking this way. They damn well should have done. Uh, but they would a few years later. Was they should have just had someone like Tim Burton maybe do a Venom series that runs alongside Spider-Man mm. and then whoever wanted to do it, probably Tim Burton because, as you say, Sam Raimi's not particularly interested. Yeah do a crossover movie. Yeah. That's what they would do now. They go, well, let's set that up, yeah. unless you're DC, of course. I in which have... case, they go, we'll leapfrog all of the setup yeah. and just get to the payoff. I would have absolutely loved, and I, I heard a rumour that it was true, and I don't know how true it was, I would have loved to see Raimi do Mysterio. Yeah. I feel like a villain like Mysterio, whose whole gimmick is illusions, that just lends itself so well to Raimi's horror background. Yeah, I do find it weird that Raimi didn't have an interest in a dark Spider-Man, only because his stuff tends to be dark, but I guess it's normally dark with a comic twist, mm. and it's the comic twist that Venom generally lacks. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I kind of get it. Like, I don't mind Venom. I, I personally prefer Carnage. Because um, Carnage is just more psychotic. Yeah. But they usually come as a pair anyway, don't they? Um, Venom and yes. Carnage tend to be together. Well, it was um, Spider-Man and Venom, Maximum Carnage was the game on the Mas- on the Mega Drive and the Snares. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, but yeah, so the rumours I heard for Spider-Man 4, if it had happened, and then we'll go back to Spider-Man, was A, Mysterio, played by Bruce Campbell, which would have been fucking amazing. Yep. But I also heard, and apparently... They, they got as far as contract negotiations with this was actually John Malkovich as the as the vulture right which is the character that years later Michael Keaton would actually play in the first MCU spider-man film right. and Michael Keaton does a wonderful job as I'm sure you can imagine he does Michael um, Keaton just does all this shit that he because he's Batman then he's he was Bird in Birdman, and now, now he's the vulture. vulture. He's just winged heroes. Yes. You, you notice he's always got wings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can't, he can't not have wings. He's <laughs> he's really good as the vulture. Pelican Man, yeah. starring by Cookie. On, honestly, he is really good as the vulture. Yeah. Um, because what they did right with the first MCU Spider-Man, it's not a global world-ending disaster. It's, it's like thing. this first one. It's a small, self-contained thing. And Vulture, actually, you can kind of see why he's evil. He's not, It's not even that he's evil as such. He doesn't want to kill anyone. It's that he got screwed over by Tony Stark, which destroyed his entire business. And in order to keep his employees able to look after their families, he starts stealing Stark technology to sell on the black market. Right. Um, the problem is, all I think it's all the MCU Spider-Man films, the villains turn out to be people who are pissed at Tony Stark, but take it out on Spider-Man instead. And it's like, dude, we killed him like five films ago at this point. Like, <laughs> come on. How many people did Tony Stark piss off? Apparently everyone. <laughs> I mean, I get that he's an abrasive Cunt. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, let's go back to Spider-Man. Let's go back to the cast. Let's let's talk about Tobey Maguire. Yes. So because this some... is probably the best role he's done since The Wizard. The Wizard where he has no lines. And he's in it for five seconds. Yeah. And he's, but he's wearing a pink shirt and he has a mullet. And he's like five. Chicken Anyone you... who hasn't listened to VGMP, first season we did The Wizard. Tobey Maguire's in it for five seconds. With Do you think he knew back then that one while he was standing on that set of that awful film, just staring greasy, at nothing? Do you reckon he knew one day he'd be fucking Spider Man? 
he probably dreamed as all children dream mm. but yeah I'd probably while he was standing on that set I mean he's, he um, didn't he, he didn't do a lot of good acting on that set to be fair his career he was only he was like he was only an extra yeah. or something it's surprising when you think about <laughs> how ridiculously successful the three Spider-Man films were because even that third one which didn't do well critically Still it was a massive well. financial success yeah yeah uh, the only reason four didn't happen was the critical they, reaction no they turn around because studios don't give a fuck about critical reaction okay. as long as it makes money. Why think they kept churning out terrible Resident Evil movies yeah, that all true. got terrible reviews? Um, Were they not highly critically acclaimed? No. Oh. Basically, they turned around to Sam Raimi <laughs> and they went Spider-Man Four one year from now or two one years year. from now, and he kind of went, "No," he went, "I'm I'm exhausted. I'm not happy with the third one." I need to take my time. And I think he said it'll be five years before you get Spider-Man 4. And they went, unacceptable. No, it's over. You're done with it. But here's the best bit. It then took them five years to reboot it with Andrew Garfield. Yeah. So they may as well have just done Spider-Man 4. Yeah. Anyway, it is surprising. Maguire didn't have a bigger career after the Spider-Man films. And now I've heard that's because he's actually quite difficult to work with, apparently. Right. I mean, he, he was in Tropic Thunder. As a cameo, really. Yeah, um, it was hilarious, Satan's Alley. Uh, but, <laughs> but yeah, no, he. I, I mean, I don't know anything about how easy or difficult he is to work with. Um, but I, it, I figured. I mean, maybe I haven't put much thought into it, but uh, I figured it was probably because he was typecast as nerdy Spider-Man. Yeah. Um, so, what you're going to do with that as you get older? Um, he didn't seem to do much. Um, maybe that this is my ignorance talking because I haven't followed his career. I don't know. Like a lot of people who start off as like, and I know he wasn't a child when he did Spider-Man per se, but like the child actor syndrome where you play a very iconic character when you're younger. Usually the way to break out of that, like the guy who played Harry Potter, um, Daniel, Daniel Radcliffe and things like that. The way, the way they break out of it is by doing lots of sort of very avant-garde and very different yeah. and weird stuff. I so that they think... kind of break... Like, and um, what's his name? He played... He was the Edward in Twilight. Um, uh, Robert Pants. Yeah, they do like sort of very off-base and sometimes very hard, much more harder... Or weird choices, weird choices, yeah. yeah. Because that way it's like, look, I'm not just this pretty yeah. boy thing from I, this film. I do think I may have spoken out of turn because I actually think... I think basically Maguire went into doing more indie drama type films yeah which i think had always been his bread and butter anyway and i think he's in a 2013 film called prisoners which i've never seen okay. but is apparently amazing okay. it's a denny villeneuve film right. um, and it's got huge Jack- i'm sure it's hugh jackman jake gyllenhaal and toby Maguire. i'm sure it is interesting i've um, heard of it before it sounds uh, yeah. like one to watch we'll have to try and watch it sometime yeah. okay let's talk about the mvp of this film J.K. Simmons. Okay, okay. Willem I Defoe. mean, he's fucking great. Let, let's talk about J.K. Simmons and then we'll talk about the MVP of this movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, this is the... I mean, there are very, very few roles in history that are done so well that one actor becomes synonymous with that role forever. Yeah. J.K. Simmons has done that with J. Jonah Jameson. And the thing is, usually to get that status, you have to be a main character. Yeah. 
J. Jonah Jameson is not a main whatsoever. No. He's a side character in a couple of scenes. Yeah. I think he's got three scenes in total. Yeah. And they're not and they're long. all amazing. Yeah. And they're not very long, but Me- literally oh, so- from the off, he comes straight out the gate at full yeah. power and like he just hits you like a train. You're like, this yeah. is the guy. It's the speed that he hits the dialogue with. That scene when he's got Robbie... Uh, he's got the lady, I can't remember her name, and then Ted Raimi keeps popping in as well, mm. and he's having three different conversations, yeah. but not taking a breath. But you can And he's literally it. like, tear up page one, put that on page seven, do that. What's good about it, though, is that you can follow who he's talking to and when and how, yeah. uh, with very subtle movements, and very bold, because yeah. like, he says it boldly, but it's not to the point where it becomes just pointless gabble. Yeah. It's very much pointed. You know where he's going yeah. each time, which meat, can be very I'll difficult. Send you a nice box of Christmas meat. <laughs> well, it can, yeah, because it can be very easy with a character like that to, with a lot of different dialogue happening to, to multiple different characters at once, but just from one position. And mm. he's mostly just sat for most for yeah. these three scenes. Um, it's very easy for that to just get lost and just become a ramble. You do that. And it doesn't. You know what he's doing, where he's going, what he's saying, yeah. why he's doing. Bring me it. pictures of Spider-Man. Yeah, and it's yeah, and to be, it was what was an interesting choice in the script, certainly with J. Jonah Jameson, is that he's shown to be a very immoral man for the most part. But when the Green Goblin essentially is going to kill him unless he gives up his source for the Spider-Man photography, mm. he holds the line and says, "I don't yeah. know." He sends everything by mail, uh, yeah. which is a lie. He's because. I think Toby Maguire's in the room at the time. Yeah, so he, he could just give him a go, it's that guy. But he doesn't because that's his line in the sand. Yeah. And it's interesting Jameson, that... Jameson, you slime! Yeah. But it's interesting that he has a line in the sand, despite the fact that prior to this, he just seems to be a complete immoral dick. dick. Yeah. Uh, but there is a line in the sand he won't cross. Yeah. Uh, and it's to give up his own sources. Yeah. Uh, and that's something you said to me because I haven't seen the new Spider-Man films. I haven't seen them since the, this trilogy, to be honest. Yeah. Um, that is something that is different in the new Spider-Man films. Yeah, he's he's more immoral in the new ones. He's yeah. he's more of an Alex Jones type character. Yeah, uh, which I I get. Like this version of J. Jonah Jameson isn't really relevant anymore because who the fuck reads newspapers these days? Um, okay, we've put it off long enough. Let's talk about the man of the hour. Let's talk about Willem Dafoe. Long schlong, long schlong uh, Dafoe. <laughs> Willem Dafoe as uh, Norman Osborn slash the Green Goblin. Yes. Um, I love this performance. Yeah. I think it's brilliant. I he was think, the right man for the job. He was the right man for the job. I think you can tell how iconic the performance is by the fact that when the MCU, 20 years later, did their big Spider-Man crossover, No Way Home, where they bought back Andrew Garfield, Tobey Maguire, and they bought back pretty much the villain. I think they bought back a villain from like each film. So they bring back Green Goblin, Doc Ock, Sandman... The Lizard from the first Garfield one. Yep. Uh, Electro from the second Garfield one. I can't think of the sixth one. Doesn't there might matter. not be it's six. Like, there might be five. Yeah, it let's might say not be important five. because it's the MCU. Yeah, let's say this five. <laughs> when they did that, 20 years later, yeah. Green Gob- Willem Dafoe as Green Goblin is the one they pick as the main villain of the film. Yeah, They're all in it. But the main villain is undoubtedly and very clearly Norman Osborn. Because if you've got Willem Dafoe yeah. as your villain, yeah. don't make him a e- side piece. Don't get me wrong. Even <laughs> with um, What's-His-Face, who's an amazing actor as well. Um, Doc Ock. Yeah, the guy who plays Doc Ock. Oh, um, Alan. 
Not Alan. Alfred, <laughs> Alfred Molina. Molina, yeah. Alfred Molina's amazing in the film too, obviously. Yeah, yeah. But because of the way Doc Ock's story ends in Spider-Man 2, where he kind of becomes good again, yeah. you can't have him be there, because it kind of then undoes Spider-Man 2, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, it, this is a great performance. Everything about it works. The physicality of Defoe works. Yep. Um, when he, you know, when he first gets gassed, the way he jumps out of the out of the glass case, yeah, already in Goblin mode, like he jumps out and he's like baring his teeth at Doctor Strom, and he's like, <sighs> yeah. he's like back to formula. <laughs> yeah. Um, his the way he switches between being uh, Norman and the Goblin, like you say, when he realizes that Peter is Spider Man at the Thanksgiving dinner, and you, you just see the switch go in his head. Yeah, it's and- very good. And uh, something else that I this to give credit to Sam Raimi's direction for was knowing how to not overplay because there's a few scenes where he's basically just talking to himself. Uh, between the two different versions of himself, the Green Goblin and Norman Reedus. Uh, <laughs> I can't remember his last name. Norman Osborne. Um, yeah, basically, during those scenes, he changes it up each scene, so it's never the same each time. But one of the things that Sam Raimi does very well, and I think because of Evil Dead, he understand, you get a very clear understanding that he understands symbolism mm. very strongly. Evil Dead is full of symbolism, uh, and he brought that to this version of Spider-Man, certainly with the scenes with the Green Goblin. Mm. Um, when Norman is talking to himself, there's the time where he's talking to himself in the, win- in the, in the mirror reflection. Mm. And then the next scene he's talking to the Green Goblin, Norman is sort of small and terrified by the fireplace talking mm. to a chair. Yeah. On the chair, he's hung the Green Goblin mask. And the Green Goblin mask isn't animated. It's not doing anything. It's just it's just a, a, a lifeless prop, mm. which is what it literally is. Yeah. But he understands that he does. You don't have to overblow it by trying to CGI the mouth moving or or having him play himself again against yeah. himself. It's enough. We n- we now understand that the Green Goblin is a separate entity within Norman. Yeah. That is gaining ma- power. Yeah, and the, the, the mask is part of that is the symbolism of the Green Goblin. Mm. So you now don't need um you now don't need Norman to be doing the Green Goblin as well. Mm. You can just allow that back and forth to happen, yeah. which would otherwise look out of place, but it's earned throughout the build up of the Green Goblin character. Yeah. Um so yeah I a, a big Big props to Sam Raimi on, you know, getting that right. Yeah. And all the memes associated, just to prove his pop culture yeah. reference, all the memes associated with this film come from Willem Dafoe. There must be one where he's like, I'm something of a meme myself. I think there is, <laughs> there yeah. There must be. There's, there's obviously the I'm something of a scientist myself. Yeah, which is the actual line from the film. And there's also the, uh, that was you popular. can't do this to me. Yeah. <laughs> I started this company. Do you know how much I sacrificed? Yeah. So yeah. Let, let's talk big set pieces then, starting with really Spider-Man's origin, which is the big wrestling scene. So is that a big? I think I want to talk about it. Yeah, yeah. You can because talk about first it. of all, you've got so um, there's a little cameo. There's a few cameos here actually in the wrestling scene. The first is Octavia Spencer, 
who is the lady signing people up at the at the at the entrance um and she kind of warned spider-man not to do it she uh, went on to be in the help uh hidden figures the shape of water uh, she's had a really good career um he goes in and basically it's one of those old carny tricks where it's survive three minutes in the cage, uh, survive three minutes in the ring with this wrestler named Bonesaw McGraw, yep. um, and you win three thousand dollars. And we get this way we get our next two cameos, which is Sam Raimi's long term collaborator Bruce Campbell. Yep, he's the as, announcer as the announcer who gives Spider Man his name because Peter wants to be called the Human Spider, yeah. and Bruce Campbell's just like that fucking sucks, kid, <laughs> and announces him instead as, in a reference to the comics, the Amazing Spider Man. Yeah, he got my name wrong. He got, um, and I, I love this scene because this really shows off that old school cartoon style of comedy that Sam Raimi is so uh, so in love with that was in all the Evil Dead films as he's going to the ring, the Flying Dutchman who was the wrestler before him yeah, literally is being carted off in a stretcher going, oh god, I can't feel my legs <laughs> <laughs> um, Saw is our last cameo, so Bonesaw McGraw is played by the late great macho man Randy Savage Yes. Um, you, uh, you, you always, I, lo- I love the way you, you do this to me. You you introduce this guy, like the, in this case, Rando Savage, you know, and I'm like, it's a wrestler I don't really fucking know. No, but we've made plenty of jokes about Macho Man. <laughs> You've Randy made Savage. plenty of jokes about Randy Man Savage. Macho Man Randy <laughs> Savage. Randy Man Savage sounds better. <laughs> that was his porn Ooh, star yeah. name. Randy Man Savage, oh I got yeah. you. You're going nowhere. My I got you for three minutes. Three minutes of playtime. <laughs> three minutes of a Slim Jim. Honestly, his voice hurts to do. <laughs> it does, yes. It's very raspy. I'm guessing yeah. he smoked a lot. I He must have done or like been hit in the neck or something. Because <laughs> like, I'm, I'm pretty sure he doesn't put it on. I think that's his voice. Yeah, yeah. Um, otherwise, why would he do that? I actually don't know. Maybe he just thought... Maybe he got the part and thought, fuck it, I will just play Macho Man Randy Savage. Um, yeah, because he... I mean, he, he is basically Racho Man Randy... Yeah. Racho Man... Va- Van- Macho Man Randy <laughs> Savage. <laughs> Jesus Christ, is it a tongue twister for you? I don't know why it seems to be a problem. I think I'm tired. Oh. Nacho Man... Oh my God, this is getting worse. <laughs> That's the Mexican so, version. So this is a... <laughs> Yeah. So this is a cool little scene with with lots of wire work in it as well. And this was a good thing about this film. Yes, there are CGI effects in it, but it's still early enough that we're still doing wire work, which I really like. Yeah. Uh, there's a really good bit when he's fighting the Green Goblin in the burning building. No, I think it's in the end fight where he kicks him. Green Goblin sort of goes flying and then he pulls him oh, back. Oh, that's it. That is in the fire. It is in the burning yeah, it's building. In the burning building. Um, the, 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 the final fight, I believe, is airborne mostly. Yeah. Well, it's in that building, isn't it? That abandoned building. And he pulls the wall down on top of him. Oh, yeah. No, yeah. it's definitely in the burning building he does the combo, but the combo right. was cool. Yeah, I like that. But but it's clearly wire work. You can tell Willem yeah, Dafoe's yeah, yeah. on wire And I love that. I yeah. miss wire work in films, Rory. Yeah, wire work in films is great. Um, so the, your real big, first real big set piece 
is the Unity Day Festival. Yes. Which is the first real appearance of the Green Goblin. Like, that's his coming out party. When he swoops past the board and he's like, out am I? And throws the pumpkin bomb that disintegrates them. Him saying, out am I? And you saying it's his coming out party makes it sound like he's coming out as a gay man. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Out am I? Um... (laughs) And and this is the this is the real piece of evidence for the fact that him and Norman are separate people, because he nearly kills his own son in this scene. He doesn't seem to give a shit either. Yeah, he doesn't realise really. I don't think it even registers to him that Harry is there. Yeah. Which you could choose to interpret as it's because the goblin doesn't care about Harry and the goblin is separate from Norman. Yeah. Or that Norman is so focused on his hatred for the board. That doesn't matter to him. Yeah. Yeah. But I quite like this. It's it's so nice, again, because I'm used to modern Marvel, where everything's fucking laser beams, fucking animated, pew, 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 pew and stuff like that. Yeah. Spider-Man and the Goblin, yeah, they're flying around because of the webs and the glider, but when they fight, it's actual fist-to-fist fighting. Yeah. And some of it feels some of it feels really impactful. Like when uh, the Goblin crashes Spider-Man against that window, doesn't he? Yeah, that... And then smashes slash, his head through that, it. You could feel that. That was good. Um, when it does wire work and when it does fist-to-fist fighting, this film is brilliant. However... Um, with these big set pieces, all of the big set pieces, a lot of green screen and a lot of... Um, there are some elements of CGI and they're quite ropey. Yeah. By t- certain, like they, I'm sure they weren't as bad looking in their day. But oh, no, they were amazing. I remember when yeah. it came out. They were amazing. But they're very ropey. It's and- a bit like watching Lord of the Rings again, though, because when I watched first Lord of the Rings, when it came out, it's like, the graphics are insane. Yeah. And then you watch it now, you're like... Oh, no. Yeah, it's so <laughs> funny, isn't it? Because the, the effects don't age... It's just our appreciation or understanding of the mages. Yeah, which is fascinating. Yeah. Um, for the most part, I think this is still watchable. None of it's so bad that I sit there going, I cannot watch this. Um, the worst oh, no. parts are there's a couple of times when, for me, I think the worst animated effects are when Goblin jumps onto his glider and transforms for me the the time the cgi is at its worst is whenever you get the goblin jumping on his glider because it'll be actual willem dafoe in the suit jumping yeah and then it will transition to the animated goblin yeah and you can kind of you can very much see see that yeah um i think a lot of the main issues are cgi people don't work they barely work now, let alone... Yeah, they definitely did back then. There's a couple of... The other I, one, though, is that any time they're doing any green screen, which I actually think they were doing blue screen on, not green. Oh, I think they did do blue screen in yeah, this, yeah. It was, it was because good. you can't green screen the Green Goblin. Yeah, maybe that's why. Uh, but even bits with Spider-Man... Oh, would... you can't blue screen Spider-Man. Do you know what? I actually think... I think I remember the watching King the documentary, ver- because yeah. I had I had the two-disc special edition, yeah, and yeah. I did watch all the documentaries. I think they orange screened this... Well, that's was, strange, because there's orange in the human skin time. And it was one of the first films to do orange. Oh, okay, I might be wrong. I don't Fuck know. It. You could, might be right. It but, just seems to not choice. But Maybe they did green for Spider-Man and blue, blue for the Goblin. Green, maybe. <laughs> but the point is, is the main issue I have with it is, like, they, they didn't key him out, like, anything out very well. Right? Whenever I, it comes to keying, you hmm. can always see the scene. 
I have to say I didn't notice that. I did. My the the, the effects I noticed more were like you said the C, whenever it was a CGI. CGI person. was yeah the CGI was worse was more evident. But there were a couple of times like there's one where Spider Man's running through a broken up building might be the fire scene. But there's a bit where he's running through this building and it's at the side and it's trucking alongside him. Mm. And you can see like the fuzz around him oh, from the keying out. I know out that. Be- and... No, that's near the beginning. Yeah. Um, I, I right. I didn't think that's what I was. I thought that was just. I thought that was a CGI person again. Oh no! I think that they were keying around him, and he was actually running. Oh right, I thought it was a um, CGI person. But it, 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 you could. I mean, you would if it was CGI. You wouldn't have that fuzz around him. Right. Uh, that that's what kind of gave it away. But it, then again, it could have been your copy. I don't know. It, it, it could have been your because co- yeah. you, there was a couple of elements of macro blocking on the version we watched, which right. uh, I don't know. It, it, that's basically where, certainly in dark areas, usually it shows um, where there's not enough di- digital information. So all of these, you get these big squares of dark Blackness, patches and yeah. like block color. Yeah, uh, that happened a few times. So it might be that it's just a bit of a low resolution file, but. Yeah. Um, um, but yeah, yeah, so just in terms of other set pieces, then the the burning building's great. I really like yeah, that. That was really um, well done. I I do remember fe- I remember it being a fairly big moment when he throws all the pumpkin blade things and Spider Man's like twisting through them. One yeah. thing you did point out, and you're totally right. Sam Raimi is very um, very um, as and when he wants. Is when the spider sense works. Yes, it, it yeah, it comes on whenever the plot requires it. And, and to be fair, that's not just Raimi; that is Spider Man in general. Yeah, because, because otherwise th- he becomes invincible. Yeah, basically. in theory, Spider Man should never be hit unless it's something that can move quicker than his spider sense, which yeah. nearly nothing can. An interesting detail from Avengers: Infinity War is when Thanos snaps his fingers and they all start crumbling to dust. Peter, no other Avenger does this. Every other Avenger kind of just goes, oh no, and crumbles to dust. Peter drops to the ground, shivering, and like Tony Stark's holding on to him, and he's like, Mr. Stark, please, something's wrong, something's wrong. Realistically, that's because they wanted the emotional moment. Yeah, yeah. But in logic, in canon, that's because his spider sense can sense it coming. Right. So if his sense is powerful enough that it can sense the blip coming, the snappening, as I like to call it, <laughs> uh, I love that. I, I, I always call it the snappening. Um, yeah, you're right. He'd be invincible. Nothing is fast enough to yeah get him. So that's always been an issue. I'd, I, I, I'd forgive it for that. Like yeah. because like with the superhero film. You're gonna have to make some caveats to reality, guys. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's gonna be a few things where going. Well, that doesn't really work. Yeah. But you know what? Fuck it. Um, you know, it's, it's how much you'll accept the breaking of reality. Yeah. There's only really two more set pieces to talk about. The first one is, of course, the iconic upside down kiss in the rain. Yeah. It's so beautiful. It's so it, moist. It's, yes. <laughs> We've it's talked- raining, guys. It's raining, man. We've talked about this before. <laughs> about how modern movies, not even just superhero movies, modern blockbusters are devoid of passion and heat. Yes. Uh, because even when they do love stories nowadays, they feel sanitized. Yeah. I don't know what it is about modern actors. I don't know if it's the way they're directed or if it's because everyone's scared of getting accused of something. I don't mm. know. 
hardly any modern actors have got chemistry with each other. I'm sorry. I, I think it's like... how it's directed because, like, there's... Here's something that's a bit difficult in a modern idiom. Uh, do you like how I use that word? Mm. Uh, yeah, in a modern idiom, the problem we've got with trying to put in any sort of genuine romances into films is if, if, if we're going with the... I hate to use the term woke because it's not a term I use. I hate the term. But it's a term that people are aware of and understand what I mean. Uh, when we're looking at the current iteration of how we write films, the reason, like, there's, there's worries about power, power dynamics, things like that. Yeah, of course. In this regard, it could be seen that Peter Parker slash Spider-Man has a power imbalance in his favour because he's Spider-Man and he's able to save her. He could also set up ways that she could be killed just to save mm. her and use that to his advantage, yeah. which would make him a scumbag. So is Spider-Man but, supposed to stay single forever? Well, th this is the problem, isn't it? It's like, with with th this isn't my suggestion of yeah. things. This is what I think might be the reason why there isn't as much chemistry anymore. Mm. There's two reasons. Number one, I think, is the worry of a power imbalance influencing a bad decision mm. or coming out as in, well, hang on, these two are kissing, but he's her boss or she's this or he's mo mostly to do with men rather than women, I suppose, in a power imbalance. But whatever there's there's always that worry that it might not read right and the other mm. reason and it might, that might be this second reason might be connected to the first as the reason why they do this second mm. one and it's something you've mentioned before is when they play romances now they don't play sweet romances they play them with comedy stuck in and it's a sarcastic comedy so it's like you know he fancies her and you know she fancies him, but they, we're going to dance around this, mm. but not in a way where they're like, the, the passion is still growing and they're yeah. like pulled towards we're, each other we're magnetically. We're afraid of being sincere with our feelings now. Yeah, which is ironic because we're meant to be in a period where we're starting to learn more about mental health, starting to learn a lot more about, uh, you know, people's feelings and being able to be open mm. while at the same time our media seems to be shrinking its ability to explain or discuss yeah. emotions. Like the, the modern Marvel films, and again, like I said, I like Marvel. Yeah. But like, and I like Chris Hemsworth. I think Chris Hemsworth's a very good actor. Him and Natalie Portman have zero chemistry in those Thor movies. Yeah. Robert Downey Jr., who is, of course, an amazing Iron Man. You want to know the one dark spot in his Iron Man films? No chemistry with Gwyneth Paltrow I mean, at all. Yeah. Like, you just don't buy it. And it's it's the same in all of these modern MCU movies. Mm. For some reason, I don't know if it's just that Disney don't want romance, but the romance... If you don't want it, then don't even do love stories. But then most of their films prior have all been love stories, realistically. It's, it's so weird. But anyway, this is a great moment. It's really yeah, yeah. beautiful. It's a reason it's, it's stuck. Yeah, as a meme and been referred to so much. Yeah, and it's this lovely mutual respect between them because he trusts her to take the mask only so far. She does only to like she doesn't try and cheekily see the rest of his see face. the rest of his face. Um, it's it's beautiful. And of course, our, our, our last big set piece is the finale. Yes, which starts on the bridge, mm. the Brooklyn Bridge, I believe it is. And then moves over to an abandoned building. Yep. Um, you've already pointed out you do have a little bit of a problem with the stuff on the Brooklyn Bridge. Yep. And I kind of get that. Um, the, Again, the, it's not enough to break the film. No. The bit where all the New Yorkers start throwing stuff at the Green Goblin, that really worked for me mm. the first time I saw this. 
it works less so when he repeats that ex- that exact same trick in the second film. Right. Um, I don't know if you remember the second one very well, but there's the bit on the train after Spider-Man has stopped the train yeah. and they carry him into the train yeah. and Doc Ock comes to get him. To be fair, they kind of do do a twist on it because Doc Ock comes to get him. They all stand on the train. They're like, no, fuck you. And Doc Ock just like shoves them aside <laughs> with his tentacles. You know, it would have uh, been better if in Spider-Man 2 they literally read, no, fuck you. <laughs> Yeah. Um I like the bit in the abandoned building as well. Yeah, it's, I thought that it's was kind good. of cool to see a superhero film that isn't a CGI laser beam in the sky. Yeah. I don't know if you know this, or but aliens. that that basically became for a good ten years every superhero film was some sort of CGI beam shooting into the sky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's Avengers One. It's um Man of Steel. Yep. It's Fant Four Stick. It's yep. loads of them. Um, this is quite grounded. This is just two yeah, just people two men beating the out. shit out yeah. of each other. Yeah. Um, and Spider Man looks rough as fuck. He looks like he's been taken to the limit. You yeah. Know? Bear in mind, he's got so many powers. He's still something of an underdog. Yeah. Which I mean, he's not a full underdog because we don't get a lot of in like information about. What powers Green Goblin might have? Most of it, he seems to be he has a suit and a, a glider. Yeah, but and he's, he's obviously stronger. Yeah, uh, which is why he can take the punches and deal them out. But yeah. the it just seems to be power he has rather than anything else. And yeah, then he, he can't like tech. shoot webs or anything like that. No, it's just the strength, the agility, and then all the tech he's got. Yeah. So without the tech, he's kind of he's kind a of disadvantage. A, yeah, he's basically a bodybuilder, but without the big body. Yeah, though he um, is ripped. I mean, Willem Dafoe. Yeah, is Willem Dafoe's very in much shape. in shape. Um, I really like. I like when he pulls the wall down on top of him. That's cool. I don't think you do that enough in Spider-Man movies anymore. Is him pulling, like, using the webs to pull the environment around him. Yeah. Um, and what you get, obviously, is I like that it doesn't come down to a big battle. It comes down to a conversation where we complete the arc of the uh, goblin basically tries to manipulate him yeah. and he goes into the Norman Osborn voice and he's like, I've always been like a father to you, yeah, Peter. Is, yeah. Be a son to me now. And Peter stands and he says, no, I had a father and his name was Ben Parker, meaning Uncle Ben. Yeah. I would have loved and, it if it, I have a father, his name is Uncle Ben. Yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, the goblin has sneakily remote piloted his glider behind Spider-Man. And brought out the spikes. Yeah. Uh, But this is a point where the spider sense does work. Yeah. Which didn't work the whole rest of the fight. Yeah. And he backflips over it. And I love, this is such a Sam Raimi thing to do. You get these quick cuts of Spider-Man flipping, the glider flying forward, Norman Osborn. And then you just get this cutaway for a second of Norman Osborn's face as he goes, oh, <laughs> like <Yeah. laughs> that. That's such a Raimi thing to do, and yeah. I love it. And this glider fucking shanks him, and it's not... It, people it always go like in his stomach. First. It is not in his stomach. I it is too low for his stomach. When it hits him, it's higher. Yeah. I think it moves. Right. Uh, like, and I think that's just a mistake on the production side. Yeah. When it hits him, it clearly gets him bet- like through both his kidneys. Right. But then when it like from the from the like the the, the distance shot where you see it all happen, yeah. it's clearly through both kidneys. And then it gets to the cl- it goes closer, and the rest of the scene happens, and it's through Dong. It's clearly yeah. through Dong in those see, shots. You can see like the six pack of his suit. Yeah. 
and then this is a good like two inches below the bottom of the six pack. Yeah, which would be your dick. Yeah. So you see, <laughs> his death was he he got his slashinger yeah. removed. Yeah, and he. Um, but it's he, a good way of being hoist by your own petard. Yeah, exactly. It's... Killed by his own weapon. Yeah. Uh, which I think is how all the villains are beaten in the Raimi one. Doc Ock is beaten like he has to drown his own creation, doesn't he? Yeah. And he dies with it. Um, Sandman turns good, I think. Sandman end. turns good, but he, he doesn't really get a full arc because of how that film gets ditched. Yeah. Venom just disappears. Oh, Venom, it's the sound thing, which is from the comics. Yeah, I do yeah. remember that. But oh, and d- then they grenade him. They gr- they pumpkin bomb him. New Goblin pumpkin bombs him, doesn't he? Because um, like, someone's told me, and I don't remember seeing this, but this is, again, a Raimi thing to sneak in. Because if you remember, basically, he traps Eddie Brock in the middle of those poles yes smashes them all so that they're ringing which causes the venom suit to come off of him yeah um spider-man pulls eddie brock out because he doesn't want to kill him he just wants to kill venom yeah but eddie brock's like no i need the suit man because he's addicted to the power and you get like a slow motion shot of eddie brock jumping back in just as the pumpkin bomb comes in yeah and the Venom suit is, like, just about to reattach to Eddie when it blows up. Someone's told me, I don't remember seeing this myself, but I've not seen Spider-Man 3 in a long time. There is, like, a apparently there's a split second, like, a frame, gory shot, where, like, you could see all Eddie Brock's skeleton. Like, all his flesh is being, like, burnt off by the pumpkin bomb. Right. And there's, like, a frame or two of skeleton. Interesting. And that, interesting. that's a Raimi thing to sneak in as well, yeah, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, just so so quick that you wouldn't notice it unless you were freeze-framing. Yeah. But anyway, obviously Norman Osborn's last lines are, don't tell Harry. Yeah. And that does set us up for what's going to happen a lot in the next film, which is this. He delivers uh, Osborn's body to his house and is seen by Harry. Yeah. Who, uh, of in... course, goes, what have you done to my dad? Yeah, he then disappears and then basically Harry's like, I'll get you for this, Spider-Man. Yeah. I'll get you next time. He doesn't do it that it. cheesy way. I just like, I yeah. just wanted to do that. Um, and Willem Dafoe, she does come back for the second one for a cameo. Yeah. Um, there's also a famous, I don't know if you've seen it, there's a famous video from the set of Spider-Man 2. Right. Um, Sam Raimi is a notorious prankster. Yep. Um, and there's one day where it's when they're doing the scene where Doc Ock, it's where he becomes Doc Ock, really, when he does the sun experiment for the first time. Yeah. And he's got the tentacles and he's doing the, stay back, everyone, don't worry, I can stabilise this, that bit. Yeah. Um, There's a bit where Sam Raimi, basically Willem Dafoe visited the set, and Sam Raimi goes to um, Alfred Molina's trailer and he's like, oh, um... Alfred, I've I've got to tell you something. Um, we're we're letting you go. We've decided it's not working out. We've we've actually hired another actor to replace you. Um, and Alfred Molina, of course, is like, what? What? Like, what did I do wrong? I I don't understand. Anyway, he takes him to the set, and they've put Willem Dafoe in the Doc Ock arms, <laughs> and he's doing the scene. Right. It's <laughs> a horrible prank. Yeah. <laughs> but Alfred Molina laughs and oh, him and enough. him and Willem Dafoe shake hands and No, that's fair enough. Um which is always good to see. Yeah, he's a notorious prankster. Um that's half the reason Bruce Campbell goes through so much punishment in the Evil Dead films. Yeah. It's just cause Sam Raimi likes torturing him. He also does it he gets Toby Maguire, you know. I don't remember if it's this one or Spider-Man 2. I think it's Spider-Man 2. There's a bit where Toby Maguire's at college and he drops his books and he's 
bent down to pick them up and a load of people walk past him and are like clipping him with their bags and one bag just smacks him in the face like Riyadh, that's Sam Raimi. <laughs> yes. <Bastard. laughs> uh, but anyway. Yeah. Um, Final thoughts. Uh, we end with the Danny Elfman score. I want to shout out the score as well because I really like the score to yes, this film. Yes. I, I Unfortunately, this came out a bit too soon because uh, in 2006, I think, um, there was a Spider-Man theme tune made and released. Uh, I got it on DVD for a friend of mine uh, from Japan. Uh, oh, really God. good thing. Here we go. Yeah, so it's called Spider Man. It's by an artist called DJ Ozma, which is DJ, and then Ozma is O Z M A. Look it up. Um, Don't. It's, it's really good. <laughs> no, it's not. My friend was a massive Spider Man fan, and when I went to Japan, this happened. To, it happened to coincide with the release of this. Mm. I saw it the next day. I went to a music thing. I got the special edition DVD, which showed you how to do the dance. That's in the music video, um, and I was actually quite disappointed he didn't. Him and his uh, his comrades didn't do it for their wedding. This cause... is the guy with his butt out, isn't it? He's got like assless chaps on. No, or no, DJ Osmer is in the white Spider Man suit. He's got like a full suit on, yeah. but with like. I feel uh, like someone like, had their ass out. And... Someone definitely had their ass out in that video. That you you say me. someone, everyone but DJ Osmer. <laughs> right, that's There's... it. So the music video is in a nightclub, two massive groups of guys. Uh, one side, and all they're wearing is, I think sometimes they wear masks, mm. but other than that, they're wearing, uh, like, and I mean, like, just eye masks, if yeah. that. But other than that, they're wearing just black thongs. That's it. And it's all men. <laughs> and they've got, like, either a Spider-Man coloured spider on their crotch, or they've got the black Venom spider on their crotch. And, like, they're split into the Venom and Spider-Man sides, and basically the dance that they do is just, they're thrusting each other. <laughs> And I was like, I saw that and I was like, my friend Craig needs this. Yeah, so no one has him. ever needed that in their life. So I bought it for him. The, this is a great theme, the Danny Elfman one. Yeah, but it's not uh, quite DJ Osmo. I, I think this film has definitely held up. It's it's dipped in some respects, you know, with CGI and whatnot. Yeah, yeah. I, I still very much think this is a great film. I think it's a masterclass in pacing a film. Yes. The pacing on this film is perfect. Um, it's it never it never outstays its welcome, but it never goes so fast that you can't keep up. No, uh, um, it's a perfect amount of pace, and script wise, I'm very happy with this. Again, with the only caveat being, I I wish the choice he has to make on the bridge actually made a difference. Yeah. Um, but other than that, I I've got no faults with the script. Yeah. The CGI is ropey, um, and some of the green screening hasn't held up well over time um so the visual effects really need retarding up that, that i mean they'll never do that now but you know what i mean the 4k of the... restoration <laughs> well if that if anything that would just show up the problems even more no redo um, all the effects well you, i suppose you could go from back to the original source material nah. and re-edit so it they I... did that with blade runner you know yeah uh, when they went to do the blu-ray and then the 4k what they did for blade runner was because the you get like these black squares around different elements where they were edited together and shrink and you wouldn't notice it on a VHS tape but you will notice it on sort of a high def or a 4K screen so they went back and re-scanned all the original source elements and recomposited the special effect shots yeah. and the benefit is where it's not CGI it's all practical models shot on plates you can do that really quiet. Yeah. I would I quickly might be the the wrong term, but it's actually a lot quicker and a lot easier yeah. and a lot cheaper than re-rendering stuff in CGI. Yeah. Not to be pretentious about it, but I actually 
I actually do disagree with people going back and doing stuff like that. See, but, because but, I can't, mm. I personally feel, uh, and this might just be me being a grumpy old man. It's okay. I kind of feel like your film has to stand yeah. as a testament to the time it was released. Uh, I, I, mm. so yeah, it's okay. It's okay that the effects don't look great in Spider-Man anymore. We are 20 years past the time when they were top of the line special effects. So I want I I, I want to defend my position here mm. in that I'm not saying that it's right to go back and re-edit your films. Yeah. There is a difference. So like what what um I was going to say Luke Besson is clearly the wrong guy. George Lucas did with the Star Wars original trilogy mm. where he added CGI crap into it. I'm very much against that yeah. because your film has to stand as it was. But with the Blade Runner option... They're, they're almost historical documents. Yeah, you yeah, know yeah. what I mean? But with the Blade Runner one, I don't disagree with it. And here's why. They didn't add or remove anything. All the stuff they did was the original elements put back in the same order. They just got rid of the bits where you'd see the edges yeah. of each plate. That, that window for me? Sure. That I'm fine with. The reason being that it's you've not actually changed the film. Yeah. So that is a different thing. That's a rest. That's the difference I would consider a restoration rather than uh, recompositing or reimagining your film. Yeah. Uh, I or remix, I suppose, would be the musical term. Don't remix the shit. But I'm happy with a remaster. Yeah. I don't have an issue with that. Uh, they did it with Star Trek: Next Generation because when uh, Star Trek: Next Generation was done, they filmed it all on cinema film. But in order to edit it. And he scanned all the cinema negatives to VHS, then edited it all on VHS, including all the visual effects. So when it came to doing an HD version, it couldn't happen because the only complete episodes were VHS. But they still had the original cinema reels. So to do the HD remasters of them, they basically went back to the original cinema negatives, had to do the editing process again, but kept it as as much as possible 100% to the original series, the way it was edited, even if there was mistakes, things like that. The only differences were anything that was CGI rendered was lost, but there wasn't a lot of CGI in the, the next generation. So uh, there was only a couple of things that had to be like created from scratch, which was minimal. But like where it was mostly model work, they rescan all the model stuff and put that back in. Mm. So using the original model work, the original plates, you know, they didn't refilm anything. They just used the original materials that existed. Yeah. So that's a that's more of a restoration or a remaster. I'm fine with that. Um, but yeah, yeah, th- th- that would be my caveat. It's the difference between a yeah. restoration and a, a remix. But, uh, but yeah, that's, that's Spider-Man from 2002, hey, directed by Sam Raimi. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed watching it again. Um, I'm very glad we chose to give it a second take. Yeah. Um, and thank you for joining us. I hope you enjoyed listening to us talk about Spider-Man. Spider-Man. And we will see you next time.